Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would guide this service. Father, for those that need a touch from you, we pray that you would, would touch them, Lord. For those that need encouragement, I pray that they would be encouraged, Lord. For those that need to be challenged, let us be challenged. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Lord. We give this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the summer of 1957, New York City. Twelve men had just received instructions from a judge on what they were supposed to do next. These 12 men had just entered the deliberations room, I guess you would call it. That's where they deliberate. These 12 jurors had just left the courtroom and went in for deliberations. And they were to decide the fate of a young man, an 18-year-old kid, but he was a man, he was a young man, that was being accused of murdering his father, his abusive father. As these men filed in, you could tell they were on a fourth or fifth story floor in this courtroom, in this deliberation room. The men filed in. It was hot. It was muggy. It was summertime. Many of them were, they were taking a break for a few minutes. Juror number one, I guess you would call him the lead juror, he was letting the men use the restroom before they would file around the long table and each of them take a seat and begin to deliberate on this young man's fate. The judge had instructed them that this young man, should he have been found guilty, that he was going to receive the death sentence. The, the sentence was already there. These men would decide the fate of that young man's future and where, where he would, what was going to happen to him. The men, there was an air of confidence as the men gathered around. Some of them chit-chatted together near the window. The windows were up. They were trying to stay cool. The sleeves had been rolled up. This was 1957, so the cigarettes were burning. One man had a summer cold. He was holding his nose. He was frustrated. You could tell there was a little bit of a confidence in the room that this was a slam-dunk case. What they had just witnessed was two very powerful testimonies against this young man, the facts were almost obvious that this young man was, was guilty. Several other men over on the corner were talking. One of them was talking about a baseball game. This, this man, he was confident that he would be leaving shortly to go to his baseball game. Soon after that, juror number one called the jurors into the room and said, let's get started, let's, let's gather around, let's take our places at the table. Well, how are we going to sit? Where are we going to sit? Well, how about we sit by juror number, okay? I'm, I'm juror number one. I'll sit right here at the head, two, three, four, five, and, and so on around the table. Let's take a vote. Sounds good, guys. It's, you know, again, the air of expectation that this was a slam dunk case was very high. These men were, were confident that they were going to be on about their business, that the facts were obvious, that they would be, they would be leaving soon. All in favor... Of a, not guilt, or of a guilty verdict, raise your hand. The hands quickly rose all the way around the table. Except one man, juror number eight, juror number eight did not raise his hand. He was voting not guilty. 
almost immediately, two of the more outspoken jurors, they, they were aghast at this young man's, not this young man, but this juror's willingness to go against the obvious facts and the obvious nature of what this case was about. I mean, it was blatant. This, this, this young man was guilty. He had murdered his father. They saw the testimony. They then proceeded to go around the room and try to convince this juror number eight why he was wrong, why his plea needed to be changed. At one point in the discussion, juror number eight said, well, I'm really not saying that this young man did not commit this crime, but what I'm saying is that this young man deserves some deliberation before we decide in five minutes his fate and we leave here. Should we not talk about this? Well, obviously, the outspoken, bold personalities in the room were just aghast, and they couldn't believe, and, the, and, the, and it was loud. And Okay, let's take another, finally, after a few minutes, let's take another vote, said juror number eight, and I will step out, and I will withdraw my vote. And if one more juror changed his, 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 his uh, vote to not guilty... Or if, if, if everybody votes guilty, and I'm the only one still, then I will, I will submit to that, and we'll go and we'll vote guilty. So they took the vote. This time they did it in privacy. They did it on cards, right? He wanted it to be a, nobody to be influenced by other people, and they did that. Well, there was one more that had decided not guilty and was open to some deliberation, so... That is the movie, if you haven't figured it out, called uh, 12 Angry Men. It's kind of a classic. And uh, this week, my son Winston and I, Sarah was out of town. She got to leave for about five days to visit her sister. And so there was a couple nights in there where the, one of the grandmas was watching the younger kids, and it was quiet. And so I get to actually watch a movie with my older children. That was kind of a special thing. Well, the movie we were going to watch... The Chosen was apparently live, and anyway, we got like, I don't know where we were at in the, in the live stream when we tried to watch it, and so I thought, well, can't really watch that now, so what are we going to watch, you know, and so I thought, I had thought about this before, 12 Angry Men, I remember seeing that when I was in school, I don't know if you guys had ever seen that, it's a very popular courtroom, I don't know if you'd call it a courtroom drama, um, anyway, I, I got a lot out of that movie. I, it, was, it was a special movie. It's not really for kids. It's kind of, a, I would say, teenagers and above just because of the nature of the deliberations. It's, I mean, there's really not a lot of, there's some language in there, but there's, it, it's, it's really one scene in the deliberations room that these men are in. But you know what? What was interesting is I saw myself in there, and there's some really, some, I think, some spiritual lessons that we can kind of learn from that movie and um, I thought I would just go through some of those. So the one thing is the majority of these men were too impatient to slow down. They had already heard the evidence, and it was a done deal in their mind. And they were ready to draw an immediate conclusion. They really did not want to deliberate. And I had to think, you know, how often do I go into situations in life, daily situations, and I'm impatient and I, I've already kind of drawn a conclusion in my mind. I've already gotten there, and I go in there, and I want a verdict. Boom, I want a decision. And sometimes we have to be willing to deliberate a little bit 
We're not always going to get that decision. It's not always going to be maybe even obvious, right? One of the jurors was relatively indifferent. He had baseball tickets. He was going go to go to the game. The game was a couple hours away. He was going to go to that game. I'm getting a phone call. They can wait. <laughs> Hopefully they'll figure it out. Um, he even at one point, he said, fine. After about half the jurors, three or four or five of the jurors had switched over to not guilty, this, this juror finally said, well, fine then. I, I, I vote not guilty. Another one of the jurors that was an honorable man got up and said, wait a minute. Don't just change you because you think that you want to get out of here and speed this up. Change you because you're convinced that there is not, uh, there is no reasonable doubt that this man created this crime. But if there is reasonable doubt, then you can't convict him. That's the way that, I mean, you should, there needs to be a unanimous, you know, um, no, basically no reasonable doubt for this man that he committed this crime. How often am I in situations where I, where we are in a situation where we feel indifferent? And, you know, we just kind of go in and, and you think, well, what's indifference? It's not a gross sin, is it? I mean, it's not, we, we're pretty good at pointing out the big sins, but what about just indifference about things? <clears throat> One juror was very self-involved in his work. This man was, he was a rather handsome Middle-aged man, he was witty, he, but he, and he really couldn't stop talking about his, his marketing company, and, and, he, and he was very focused on that, and that's what he wanted. That's you know that's what he wanted to chit chat about. He really didn't was not taking into concern this young man that was being really falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Jurors three, uh, well, actually, interesting in this movie, there's no names; they're just referred to by juror number. Jurors number three and number ten. We come to find out mid uh, three quarters of the way through the movie that this, these men had very strong internal biases. One of these men, so this young man that was being accused lived in the slums. They called it the slums, which I guess was just the very lowest of housing in New York City at that time, and obviously a lot of trash and, and just, I'm not sure what we would compare it to because even our bad part of town is pretty nice now, but I mean, it was obviously the very lowest side of town, and, and he, he said very passionately, this, this young man is, is part of the slums. None of these people are good. They're basically all petty criminals, and he had a very internal bias against a whole group of people that was influencing his decision. I think it was juror number three had a bias against this young man because he was a young man because... He had a son that he was at odds with that was influencing his decision. And he was taking it out on this, on this young man that was being uh, accused of a crime. And so all this comes out into... <clears throat> kind of getting long here. I need to speed it up. But you know, I just uh, bring in some scripture here. I had to think, you know, how often am I like these men? Am I impatient? Am I indifferent? How often do I not hear the facts? How often do I not want to actually sit down and deliberate? So often, and I think maybe as men, maybe more so the type A men, we want conclusions and we want them fast, right? And we're not always willing to work things out. But here's, uh, let's go through a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 12, 28. And I know there's a hundred scriptures I could give, but these are some ones I... I kind of came to my mind. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, 
Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I guess the part that I was, the first part there says we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So that really should be, that's our salvation. That, that should influence everything within us, right? These internal biases that we all have, we're laying those on the cross and they are being formed to him, to his kingdom. And because we have that kingdom, let us have grace. Well, who's that for? For my dog? I mean, who's, who's the grace for? No, the grace is for you and you and you. And, and I'm going to need some of your grace because I'm going to probably, at some point, make you mad. Family members, right? People we love the most. We have to have grace for them. Romans 13, 8, I like this one. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love one another. I think there's another one that says something to the effect of love and good works. It's a good one for staying out of debt. That's a good reason to stay out of debt, right? Don't owe another man. But that's not really the, the focus of this verse. The focus is, is, is really what, what do we owe each other? Really, it's love. It's, it's to love each other. And um, love and mutual respect and good works towards each other. <clears throat> you know, I had a revelation a few, uh, this is kind of a side note, um, a few years ago. I realize, you know, I, I, there's, there's just some people in the church I, don't, I just don't really like. It's kind of weird. I'm like, I felt bad about it. But it's like, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I don't think I ever see that in the scripture where it says you have to like everybody in the church. But what does it say? It says we are to love our brother, right? And so some of you just got a revelation of that right now because some of you don't like me and you're like, man, I feel, <laughs> whoo. No, but seriously, think about it, because there's different personalities, right? Some of us are, we're all different. Some of us are, we're not going to be best friends with everybody. But if we're serving the same Lord and the same, we're on the same cause, right? I remember at our other church a number of years ago, there was a young man there. He was a couple years younger than I am. And I was like, man, he just, he was just kind of abrasive, kind of like, like me a little bit. But he was, just, he was just kind of bullheaded and like, dude, you're just you're kind of cocky. But I knew his heart. I knew his heart. I knew he loved the Lord. He loved Jesus. He was, um, he was serving and he was giving out. And so I just figured, you know what? I don't have to, I don't have to be best friends with, with that individual, but I am called to the, he'll figure it out anyway. Okay. And, uh, John 1 16, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Again, having grace for one another, right? Um, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, right? Considering one another. <clears throat> Just some real quick questions for application. When is the last time that you reached out to a brother or sister during your hard season? Wait a minute, you meant during their hard season, right? No, I meant during your hard season. You're going through something hard, right? Because we tend to go like this. Just ask my wife. That's been me for the last two months. Very frustrating 
harvest this year. But when have you, when you're going through your stuff, looked beyond your stuff and looked out and go, you know what, I'm going to call a brother and just say, hey, what's up? Because we really don't know. I don't know everything you're going through. I just try to keep my own mess so it's not so obvious. But, right? But, but are we not all going through certain things? Let's reach out. Let's have grace for grace. When's the last time you, you did that? Picked up the phone, right? Our wives, men, our wives are very good at doing this. They're always giving out, right? They're making meals. They're sharing. They're talking. For men, it's a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, when's the last time you realized that church was not meant for you, just meant for you, but you were meant for the church, right? I used to think, you know, when you think that church is meant for you, you come in here and you kind of go, ah. you look around and, well, man, pastor didn't really say hi to me. He didn't really come over right away. And yeah, I don't know, the worship, it was good, but it was, you know, you start picking and nitpicking, you start thinking church is about me. I realized a few years ago, really, it's not about me. It's about, you know, the fact that I need to go because I need a smile from one of you. I need a handshake. I need encouragement from, from one of you. But some of you need that from me. And some of you need that from each other, right? So realizing the church is not about just us. When is the last time we reached out to our pastor, our elders, their families, and served them, right? Sometimes we think, well, hey, they just do what they do, and their life's easy, and you know, well, it's not. And it's a challenge to sit up here, stand up here weekly and do what they do and the, and the mantle that they carry. Haven't, haven't passed my record yet, so I got another 30 <laughs> seconds. But anyway, so you know what, guys? That, uh, I guess the fourth question is, do we have a love for the brethren? Do we love, do we love each other, Right? I can't think of a scripture reference, but that, I think that's one sign of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit and, and being in the faith is, is our love for the brethren. And I've, I've known in my life that the times when, I, when the enemy's lying to me and I separate myself, ah, I don't want to go, I don't want to hang out with them, I don't, you know. Well, that's kind of the, that's a, that's a, that's a, a sign of where's your faith at a little bit if you're wanting to separate and, and segregate and, and not, your love is kind of growing cold in a sense. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. And that's the kind of the first part of the verse. And so that's the challenge for me. Um, this message really was for me, as my wife knows. <laughs> and... Um, but hopefully you got something out of it. So let's go ahead and stand and worship team, go ahead and come on up and we'll pray and get started here. So Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, for your word. And uh, Father, we just give this worship uh, time to you, Lord God. May you be honored. May you be glorified. Thank you for the great salvation that you've given us, Lord. You are worthy. Uh, it is good to be here together and just to be able to, you know, the three things that we have been striving to accomplish over the last year and a half <clears throat> is to, we want people to feel loved and we want people to be encouraged and we want people to be convicted. Those are the three things that we have been striving to accomplish and hopefully that has been happening, but still it is good to be here again this morning. We're going to go back to Judges. We've been going through Judges we started into the story of Samson last week, and we're going to continue that this week. So I'm going to read Judges chapter 15 before we get started, or as we get started. 
Judges chapter 15. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. <clears throat> then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given me this great you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En Hekor, which is in Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. There's a lot going on in this story. And it's always interesting. Samson, remember what I said last week? He is a, um, what did I say? <laughs> I have it written here. Hang on. Reckless and irrational were the two things that I had said last week. He was a little reckless and a little rational. He liked to kind of work by himself. And he did seem, things that seemed uh, off the wall, kind of. But he comes back. So remember last week we talked about he had come down, he had gotten married, they celebrated, he had, given, he had given these guys a riddle, and they 
talked his wife into giving them the answer, and he didn't like that, so he killed some people and took their clothes. Anyways, that's where we're at. So anyway, he got mad. He went home with his parents, and his father-in-law thought that he didn't want his daughter anymore, and so he gave his daughter to the best man, to his companion. So Samson settles down, and he comes back. I don't know how much time has passed during this time, but he comes back to uh, see his wife. And his father-in-law said, well, I, I was pretty sure he didn't like her at all, so I gave her to your, one of your companions. Well, of course, this really <clears throat> upsets Samson, and when he gets upset, he does something a little bit irrational. And so he, uh, he catches... Well, first, the father-in-law tries to give him the younger sister, and he wasn't really having anything to do with that. You know, that's not really the way that you prepare for marriage. Well, he already gave away the older sister, so I guess we'll just go with the younger sister. I mean, sounds like that sounds familiar. That happened somewhere else, too, I think, in Scripture. Let's prepare a little bit more for marriage than just that. Remember in last week I said, Samson says, go get her because she pleases me well. That's not just a good reason to go get married. Let's put a little more thought into it than that. I would hope that we would do that. So Samson is upset, obviously, and he says, because of what they've done, you can't blame me for what I might do to the Philistines. And so he catches 300 foxes or jackals. I don't know which one for sure. It says foxes here. And he ties them. Now, I can only imagine if you took two foxes and you tied them tail to tail and you put a burning torch between them, they wouldn't stay still for very long. I'm guessing they're going to take off. It's really interesting that he uses 300 foxes and he uses torches. Because just a couple chapters back, we talked about Gideon who used 300 men and torches to defeat the Midianites. Now, Samson likes to work by himself, so he gets the animals involved in helping him. This is the time when all of Ross's wheat is ripe and ready to harvest. And this is what it was like in the land of the Philistines. And he let these foxes go and it burned everything. What a disaster. It, isn't even, it said not even the, just the grain, but all the vineyards and the olive groves as well. So there must have been a lot of fire. We thought we had a bad fire season last summer. This was a pretty bad fire year right here. But it was set intentionally because Samson was a little bit upset. So in return to this, and I want you to see the pattern of what's happening. In return for this, the Philistines said, who in the world would do this? Well, Samson did it, but he did it. Because his father-in-law had given his wife to somebody else. So we we don't need to take it out on Samson. We need to take it out on his father-in-law. Because he was really the culprit here. And so if you remember in the previous chapter, they threatened Samson's wife that they were going to burn down her house with her in it if she didn't give them the answer to the riddle. Who really didn't make any difference because that's what happened anyways. And so because Samson went and burned all their fields, the Philistines went and burned his father-in-law and wife. Because of that. So there's a cycle that's happening here. There's a pattern that's happening here. And so Samson hears that. And this is what he says in verse 7. Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. Now he did take revenge, but after that, he didn't necessarily cease in what he was doing. But revenge. This is just going back and forth. This is not going to end well for anybody until everybody's dead. Because revenge is something, what did I write down? Revenge is an uncontrollable monster. That's what revenge is. 
Revenge is something you've heard of different people. You heard of, we have heard of, of um, different tribes in different countries that have fought for years back and forth. And so they go and kill some people and kidnap them. And then that tribe recovers a little bit and they go back and they do the same thing. And back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. There's no winner There's no winner when we're dealing with revenge. This is the pattern of what's happening right here in Judges chapter 15 is Samson does something and then the Philistines will do something and then Samson will do something back and then the Philistines, and it just keeps going and going and going. And I don't know, in our lives there's times where you find somebody like Zach was saying this morning, we don't really like everybody all the time. But you know, if we get stuck in this cycle or this pattern of revenge, nobody wins. You're not going to win. The person that you're trying to take revenge against isn't going to be hurt worse because of what you've done. And honestly, you're going to be hurt worse because of it. Revenge is not the answer. And this is how, amazingly enough to me, this is how the Lord was using Samson right here. It doesn't mean that revenge is the way to do it, though. Revenge is an uncontrollable monster. You cannot execute revenge without danger to yourself. Because if you seek revenge, you know good and well that if that's the pattern you're in, they're going to try to do the same thing back to you. I want to read just a few verses that talk about what do we do with things. Because there's times that things happen that that really irritate us. And man, if I could just... You ever remember when you were in school and there was somebody that was older than you and maybe a little bit bigger than you? and they liked to pick on you, or they did things that just really bugged you, but you couldn't do anything about it. So you just think, when I get older, I'm going to get back at them. And when you get older, you really don't care, because it's gone, and it's history. But when we are older, and we have things like that that happen, maybe it doesn't go away quite so easily. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, I'd like to read. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head, do not be over, do not be overcome by evil, <clears throat> but overcome evil. <clears throat> excuse me, with good. By always striving or hoping or wanting to get back or seek revenge on somebody, we're not, we're not making things any better. We're just making things worse. It really doesn't help anything. Proverbs twenty twenty two says, "Do not say I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you." In Matthew, it talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus then comes and says, this is not the way. Because this is in the Old Testament. You go back to Leviticus. It does talk about that. That's how we're going to repay. If somebody cuts off your eye, out of your eye, we're going to take your eye. If somebody cuts off your hand, we're going to... That's how they set up the law. But when Jesus came, he took that law and he abolished that law. And he said, now it's not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But he said, I say to you, in Matthew, it says, love your enemies. Do do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. I was listening to a book and it said it's really easy to say you love your enemies until you have an enemy. And then it makes it a little more difficult because all of a sudden it becomes real. You actually have to do what God is asking us to do. We actually have to follow and live what God is asking us to live. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having a compassion for one another. Love as brethren. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called for this, that you may inherit a blessing. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, those who do evil, this would fit under revenge, seeking revenge. It's not, it's not the right thing. It's not what God has asked us, would ask us to do. It's not what the Bible talks about doing. Revenge. They're in a pattern. In, in Judges, they're in a pattern. And they're stuck in this pattern. Like I said, until both or all or some are all dead. So they they burn. He burns all their fields. They burn down the house with his his father-in-law. And then he gets, he's still mad. And so he, it says, uh, so he attacked them. In verse 8 it says, so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Now, I was trying to figure out what in the world does hip and thigh, what, what, what does that refer to? Uh, what it refers to, it was pretty brutal, it sounds like. In fact, one of the commentaries was even talking about possibly ripping limb from limb. Ouch. Samson was upset, and it says again, the Spirit of the Lord would come mightily upon him, and whenever that happens, you might want to look out for Samson, because something bad is going to happen to somebody so after he did this, then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock. So he left and he went into, um, oh, where did he go? He's in Judah. He's in the territory of Judah. And so Samson is, in a sense, hiding right now. And the Philistines come to Judah and they say, hey, uh, we want Samson. Judah's like, whoa, what are you, what's the problem? What's the deal? No, you bring us Samson, and we'll, and we'll be okay. And so what do the people of Judah do? They take 3,000 men, and they go to get Samson. They go find him. This is his people. Now, I understand Samson is a little bit on his own. He, he does things on his own, and he doesn't really want to work with anybody. But a lot of times when, in, in some of the other situations with judges, when something like this would happen and, and some people would be wiped out, it would be the time for, the, for Israel to gather and rally behind these people and go and attack and wipe out the Philistines in this case. But that's not what happened here. The men of Judah instead said, we're going to go and we're going to get Samson. We're going to arrest him and we're going to deliver him to the Philistines. Because it says in here that the Philistines, Samson, hey, the Philistines rule right now. You know, we're living life and it's really interesting to watch things that are happening in today's world because we get comfortable and we get we get used to the way things are. We get used to be able to go wherever we want, do whatever we want. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to whatever you don't have to do. We can do whatever we want. And as soon as something changed, Judah, the people of Judah, maybe they weren't really comfortable. They maybe really, really didn't like the Philistines being in control, but they, were, they had come to a place where they were comfortable with what was going on, in a sense. And if Samson is allowed to stay there, 
uh, the Philistines are going to come and attack them, and they're going to change the status of their living right at that time. I'm reading into it a little bit. But how many times in our life are we, do we get comfortable and we don't want things to change? And so the people of Judah, these are Samson's, these are Israelites, they're Samson's people, and they're willing, because they don't want their situation to change, they're willing to go and arrest Samson themselves and deliver him to the Philistines. We need to be, we need to be willing to stand up for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, when this whole coronavirus thing first started, uh, and, and people were said, hey, here's a hotline you can report your neighbor if they have a gathering of more than however many people. What, do, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we willing to stand up? Are we willing to have, our, have each other's back? Are we, are we willing to look after each other, take care of one another, pray for one another, call somebody like we've heard this morning? Are we willing to do that? Or are we so afraid that our quality or our status of life, the way we live, is going to be changed if we step out and do something contrary to that? The people of Judah didn't really want it to change. It wasn't great, but it's what they had. And they were afraid it would get worse if they didn't turn Samson. So they arrest Samson, and Samson said, the only thing I asked is you don't kill me yourselves. Okay, we won't do that. So they tied him up. They tied him up with rope, or whatever it said it was, in here. <clears throat> Let's find it. Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So they arrested him, in a sense, and they tied him up with two new ropes, and they brought him to the Philistines. Now, if you remember what happened when he's walking, the first time he's going down to Timnah to see his girl, or the lady that he wants to marry, and the lion comes running out at him. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he took hold of this lion and killed him with his bare hands. Well, they're delivering him. His hands are tied, whether they're behind his back or in front. I don't know how it was tied. It doesn't really matter. But when the Philistines, they're delivering him to the Philistines. And when the Philistines come running out to get him, and here's that phrase again, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he snapped those, what does it say? It's really interesting. It says pretty descriptive. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, which would mean nothing, because it was burned. And he snapped those ropes. And now this is interesting again, because remember, he is supposed to be living under the Nazarite law, and he's not. But what does he reach for? But he reached for a, a freshly killed donkey's jawbone which is another piece of a dead animal. And he takes that donkey's jawbone and he slaughters a thousand Philistines right there. So Judah arrests him. They're going to bring him. The Philistines think they've got him. And boy, did they have a surprise waiting for them when that jawbone connected with whatever part of their body that he hit. A thousand people he killed. So what does Samson do? Samson doesn't, doesn't begin... Um, you know, when, when Deborah and Barak won their victory, Deborah, Deborah sings a, a song or a poem or whatever it was that she said, thanking the Lord for the victory. But this isn't what Sam, Samson used a poem a little bit, but it didn't have anything to do with what God had done. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have, I have slain a thousand men. 
He's starting to brag a little bit. He's starting to boast in what he has done, not in what God has done through him. And I don't know about you, but I probably have been in that spot before as well, that we like to, we like to feel like we accomplish things and we get something done and then we, took, we turn and we look to see what we've done. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar standing on his rooftop and he says, wow, look at this that I have created. And no more were those words out of his mouth. And God said, no, I'm going to teach you who really did create that. You didn't have anything to do with it. You were in the right place at the right time, but it wasn't anything that you did. And that's a good reminder for us. And also here, learning this from Samson, that let's be careful. Yes, we should take pride in what we do, and we should, we should uh, want and desire to accomplish things and work towards accomplishing things, but let's not forget who allows us to accomplish those things. It's really easy to look. We just put a new orchard. Glenn's putting new grapes in right now, and it's really easy to look. It's fun to look when you get all done, and it looks straight, and you look, the poles are straight, and the trees are straight for the most part. Um, but it isn't anything I did. It's nothing that I did. Because it, I, I, I look at the orchard that we just put in, it's really easy to say, man, that looks really nice. That's awesome. Looks cool. And it does. I enjoy it. But it isn't anything that I did. God has given us the ability and the knowledge to do these things. And the second and the moment that we turn and say, look what I did, we better watch out. Because just like when the Spirit of the Lord came heavily on Samson, um, you might want to look both ways before you do anything else or before you say anything else. Because let's be aware, let's make sure to give glory to where glory is due. Samson is bragging. I want to read Isaiah chapter 10, a few verses there. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. They're talking about er the Assyria was getting a little bit arrogant, and this is kind of a re response to them. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. This is talking about Assyria. I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, also I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries, so I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. My hand has found like a nest the riches of the people, as one, and as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth, and there was no one who moved his wing nor opened his mouth even with even a peep. Verse 15 says, Shall the axe boast itself against him? Who chops with it, or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift up as if it were not wood. You see these tools that we use, it talks about it talks about an axe and a saw and a rod and a staff. These tools can't do anything by themselves. And that's kind of the way that we are. As well, we can be a tool used in the hand of God, but by ourselves, we really can't accomplish much. We would like to think, I would like to think that I can, but the reality of it is, is that without God, we can't do anything. And the sooner that we recognize that and realize that, the better things are going to be. So after, um, after Samson uses this jawbone to kill a thousand Philistines 
and he gets done bragging on himself on what he's done. It says, Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You had given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? You know, Samson is being used by God in spite of all of the things that, from our perspective or from my perspective, look wrong. God is using him. He's just used him to kill a thousand people and burn all their fields and kill however many he killed when he ripped them apart. And then Samson goes and gets, he's thirsty and he immediately starts crying out on God. How many times do I take credit for the good things and I blame God for the bad things? I am learning and I am trying to remember when things go well to give God the praise. And when things go bad, to give God the praise. And you know which one's easier? When things are going good, it's easier. Or, or Sorry, that's not what I meant to say. When things are going good, it's harder to remember to give God the praise. Because we tend to forget what's going on. We tend to forget who it is that's working through us and who it is that allows us to accomplish what we're accomplishing. And then when all of a sudden things aren't going so good, we come rushing to God. God, what's going on? Samson starts crying out, hey, you just helped me. Well, he, he, in a roundabout way, acknowledges there that God may have helped him to kill these people. Are you just going to let me die now? No, let's focus on God all the time and not just when we run into problems. <clears throat> because here's Samson, and he runs into this problem that all of a sudden he's thirsty, and to him, this is a big old thing, and he can't see anything past the fact that he's thirsty, and I'm probably going to die if I don't get something to drink. So God hears him, and he splits the rock open, and there's water to drink. It's amazing to me that God still does that. God wants to do that. God wants to help us. God wants to use us, and a lot of times I get in the way of what he wants to do. I want to go back to Isaiah for the last one. I want you to remember that God is always there with us, watching over us, taking care of us, guiding us, and leading us. Usually it's because we can't see it. It's why we aren't aware. Isaiah chapter 40 is what I want to end with this morning. Verses 28 through 31. Have you not known... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint. Have you not heard? Have you not known? Listen. God is here. God is for us. God is taking care of us. God is leading us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? This is what God is doing. This is why he put us here. He wants to use us. He wants to work through us. But let's get ourselves out of the way. And let's let God do what God wants to do. Three things from today. Revenge, 
Revenge doesn't ever work. Revenge is a, an uncontrollable monster. And that's all it is. It doesn't ever end well for anybody. The second one is let's be willing to support each other. Let's not nitpick little things apart like we heard this morning, but let's be willing to stand behind each other, to have each other's back. And let's be careful not to boast about what I, if you rec- realize the one passage that I read about the Assyria, it said, I, 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 my, 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 I, 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 was all about me and mine. And let's start using words like you and yours and him and his, because that's where the glory should go. Revenge, supporting one another, and not bragging about what I have done, but bragging about what God has done. Let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Stand up with me, if you would. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that we can read, we can study, we can talk, listen, discuss. Lord, I pray that as you uh, continue to guide us and continue to lead us, you would help us to be aware. These things that we're learning, help us to be able to apply them to our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each one that's here this morning. I pray a blessing on our week. Lord, may you be glorified and may everyone that goes from here to everywhere they go and the people they see, that people that they come in contact with would see you shining through them. We love you this morning and we thank you for what you've done for us and for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand.